0: Yeah and then I'm I'm trying to think back like our oldest son wrote his first book Parents Guide to Minecraft he was either 7 or 8 and he you know I've started saying that's what we do in this family we write books like they have the expectation of I don't know expectation is a strong word but I, I just think that it should be like hey you know you're all, you're going to go to college or you're going to start a company when you're 18
1: Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together.
2: Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. If this is your first time listening, you may be wondering, why are these two people interviewing husband and wife entrepreneurs? Well, Gabby and I are husband and wife entrepreneurs, and we've been running Proofpoint Marketing, a B2B digital marketing agency, for over three years now. So for a quick shameless plug, let us tell you a little bit about what we do. We specialize in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. Here are a few of the main problems we help a client solve. If you're struggling to understand what content and messaging resonates with your prospects. If you've invested in content marketing and are struggling to bring in enough qualified pipeline. If you have been heavily dependent on paid media for lead generation and your customer acquisition costs keep going up and up and up. And if you've been investing in a variety of marketing channels and technologies, but are still struggling to understand which efforts are driving revenue. If any of those sound all too familiar, let's talk. We're offering a free consultation. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to this amazing episode.
3: Welcome back to the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast, the show all about loving your work and working with your love. Our guests today are two incredible married founders, serial entrepreneurs, and parents to three kids, Rob and Sherry Walling. The list of accomplishments and accolades for these two is nothing short of amazing. We were just chatting with them prior to to, to rolling, and they're also pretty hilarious. So you guys are gonna be in for a wild ride in this episode. Rob is a serial entrepreneur who has helped tens of thousands of startup founders through his numerous co-authored books, one co authored with Shelley, two podcasts, and dozens of conferences and essays. He's invested in 36 startups and has built seven businesses to six and seven figures in revenue, but has only taken investment once. Sherry has a PhD in clinical psychology and two master's degrees. She's the founder of Zen Founder the antidote to burnout, anxiety, and loneliness that often accompanies the entrepreneurial journey. And don't we know that so well? She hosts a podcast by the same name, so go check it out after this episode. And she so eloquently puts it, she helps smart people solve hard problems. Her superpower is bringing calm to crisis and insight to chaos. And boy, don't we wish we all had that superpower. She's written an amazing book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, and that is now on my reading list on Amazon. And being a life partner in an entrepreneurial family, she has lived the phonetic pace of a tech startup. Together as life partners, love partners, and also together in business, Sherry, although separately in business, Sherry and Rob co-authored a book, co-founded, and co-host a podcast, as well as co-founded and co-organized MicroConf, the most popular community for non-venture-track startup founders. Combined, this dynamic duo has helped thousands of people through all their ventures and passions. And last but not least they co-created three young humans. In both love and business, they're firmly committed to showing up every single day for each other, their family, their respective teams, the audience and clients whom they serve, and most importantly, for themselves. In fact, they were just working out before this podcast, so let's give them some kudos to that. If we've missed anything, please forgive us, Rob and Sherry. I'm sure we'll dive into it on the show today. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you on Mixing Business with Pleasure. Sherry and Rob, it's our pleasure to welcome you to our humble
4: podcast. Thanks. That was an impressive introduction. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm like, whoa, "Who are these people? They're going. really good. I want to meet these people. <laughs> can we hang people? out with them?" Yeah. <laughs> we also have a puppy. I just we should have, we should tell you that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can't leave out the puppy.
4: We have what kind of puppy?
2: her babies can be included.
4: <laughs>
2: shiny sh- sharpei. A sharpei. Oh,
3: bones. cute. Cute. All right. Well, let's get this sh- party started. We like to kick off our episode with um some some kind of standard questions. The first that we like to ask is what came first, business or love?
4: That's a really interesting question because we actually met on the track team in college, which is, was at the time kind of our business. Like that was the thing that we were really serious about and, and um, spending a lot of our time and energy building was our lives as athletes. And uh, so that was the thing that initially kind of put us in the same place, although we liked each other right away.
3: <laughs> awesome, awesome. So we didn't know you guys were, were tracks. So, so this was in college, right? Where did you guys go to school?
4: The University of California Davis. Work is
3: a four letter word and love is a four letter word. So what is your favorite four letter word?
0: Does it have to be chosen from those two? <laughs> no, it oh, can be any, any
3: four letter word.
0: Well. So if by favorite, it, it, you define it as frequency of use, for me, it's probably the F word, unfortunately. <laughs> I just, I grew up, uh, my dad worked construction and just swearing was a thing in our house. And it's just, it's, it's almost like, you know, we were talking earlier that we've all lived in Boston at one point or another. And it's just a, you know, a, a preposition there. It's like people just use it. As, and that, so that's how I grew up. So I typically censor myself on podcasts, but I do enjoy a good, a good swear word now and again for uh, emphasis for emphasis, emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> drive home the point, you know,
3: Sherry, what about you? Oh
4: my gosh. Mine sounds so cheesy. I'm sorry. Especially in yours is all like punchy, but I, I think mine might be hope, especially right now when I feel like the world is really kind of fucked up to use Rob's favorite, <laughs> word, that that I am thinking a lot about what brings hope and what helps me to feel hopeful and the world to feel hopeful. So, that's what I'm jamming on right now These least. Absolutely. I love it.
3: And right. those two are phenomenal words, both for inspiration and for emphasis. So let's get started. I think a
2: good place to start maybe would be in Gabby's intro. She listed a lot of the projects you've worked on in your lives. So you have a handful of projects you're currently working on. In the past, you've worked on a whole bunch of projects at the same time. And Right now, all the things that you're doing together or and separately are all kind of related to helping founders and entrepreneurs really be more successful. So the question is, do you think it's possible to effectively manage and scale multiple projects simultaneously if they're not related like yours are right now
0: hmm. as a as a single individual, I think It takes, like if a single founder were to try to do this, you know, you look at an Elon Musk or a Jack Dorsey or something, I think they need a tremendous amount of support to do it. And I think, at least at their scale, it often takes um, most of their lives, right? I mean, you look at Elon Musk's personal life and it's kind of decimated because he just works all the time. I I think that, like in my life, I'm currently managing a podcast, Tiny Seed, which is an accelerator for SaaS founders, and MicroConf which is a conference for SaaS founders. And so there are, and the podcast is just a couple hours a week, right? So it's really these two things. The only reason I'm able to do that is because I have a person who who keeps the trains running on time in both of those. You know, I have a tremendous amount of support. As a rule, like as I was coming up, I always had like focus, the value of focus is is huge for me. And that's been, I think, I don't, I don't want to say a superpower, but it, I noticed that once I started working on two or three things at once, stuff started falling off, you know, unless I had someone really, really solid in place to, to help manage that. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I think it, in some ways it, it matters how you define projects because I think a lot of our lives can be kind of segmented into this concept of projects. Like Rob and I both have work projects. We have family projects. We have individual sort of passion projects or hobbies. And in some ways, I think some diversity of activity within your lives makes you both a healthy, well human. It's kind of good for your brain. It's good for your body. It's good for the flexibility in your life. But I think you have to be really clear about which energy you're giving to what activity. And the more that you're trying to hit everything on all cylinders at one time, the more you're setting yourself up to be burnt out and frazzled.
2: So I'd like to talk about both of those answers because there there's I think some nuggets for in each of them. Rob, you mentioned focus, and you mentioned when in the past when you were working on you know two three things at the same time, you're finding things were falling apart. How like talk a little bit more about that? How. What does that look like when you start seeing things fall apart, and how do you gain that focus? Does that mean you drop the other, say, two projects out of the three? Does that mean you bring in somebody else to help? Sort of, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, the falling apart. I think we've all seen that where you're not giving your full attention to something, and you know, if it's a startup, the revenue starts to flatline, or or if you have employees, then they start to get disgruntled because you're not you're not managing them, you're not doing one on ones, you're not paying attention. I mean, time are all segments of our life, whether it's our children, our life partner, a business partner, a business, they need time and attention. You know, these things are not on autopilot. And I think people who, I think, I think it's easy to fall into that trap of, you know, this, this thing's going to run by itself for a while. And yeah, I think that the, the results of that are just subpar, you know, results or subpar relationships in that. I mean, again, I knew growing up, you know, when I was in high school, I remember there were parent like my parents spent a lot of time with us and i remember i had friends whose parents were busy and they were busy professionals and they were very successful but they didn't spend a lot of time with the kids and i remember the kids being disgruntled and they were they were rich suburban kids we lived out in the country didn't have much money but i was like i want to be like them they have all these gadgets but the kids were pissed off all the time because they had a shitty relationship with their parents you know and and so i think that probably was a, a lack of connection and a lack of time And then I think to to bring it back to business, you know, how do you get that focus back? depends on the resources you have, right? If you're running a a couple million dollar business, you probably have resources to hire a really good GM or a really good CEO or a COO who can head things up. Again, you know, with Tiny Seed at MicroConf, Tiny Seed, we hired a program manager. Her name's uh, Tracy Osborne, and she keeps trains running on time there. And then for MicroConf, producer Xander came on full-time with us about a year ago, and he has made it so that we can, they have both made it so that these businesses run really well and just need, you know, uh, someone like me, uh, you know, maybe a higher level thinking and guidance and such. So if you have the resources, great. And if you don't have the resources, which I didn't, let's say eight or 10 years ago, I did not have the resources to bring someone in. I would either shut the business down, I would sell it, I would, you know, migrate it, figure out a way to give it a good home. And sometimes the other part is sometimes these projects are temporary, right? It's like writing a book is a project that's on the side of my consulting and you know and, and a startup or whatever but the book you know it's going to it's going to be done at a certain point and then you can market it and then it it does just kind of go off on its own and you don't constantly market it so there are certain ones that also just take themselves out of the running uh,
3: naturally. Sherry with oh sorry were you going to say something? Yeah well
2: I was gonna, I just want to follow up on what on, on Sherry's answer in terms of you know there being a need and a desire for some variety. Uh, and obviously that can be shown in passion projects, et cetera. But I guess I, I'm curious in your thoughts on how to do that effectively while kind of, you know, keeping your focus on the one main thing, let's just say, and then still being able to kind of allocate time or to the passion projects or to family or whatever it may be sort of, how does that look like, how do you do it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I am really aware within myself of the kinds of things in my life that are really life-giving and the kinds of things that might be on my task list that exhaust me and make me irritated but must be done. So I think, you know, really stacking the deck in favor of the things that are life-giving is important, which means that, you know, you seek help or get resources to help cover some of the things that are more taxing on your levels of energy. I will say, though, I think about my life in a couple of different buckets. Like I think about my relational well being and my physical well being. I think about friendships, my relationship with Rob, my relationships with my kids. And then, of course, my work, my work relation. You know, there's all these different buckets that we can segment. One of the things that I have done that's been kind of developed a passion project is to be a yoga teacher. And then learn aerial yoga, do it, be an aerial yoga teacher and performer. And so I have this little segment of my life, which is, is not unrelated to being a mental health professional for high-performing people because, hey, yoga and breathing and all of that stuff is really helpful. But this little passion project has been the source of lots of friendship lots of my own mental health care, lots of just, you know, physical care. So I can go to a class or teach a class and I'm seeing people I love. I'm taking care of my body. I'm making a little money. That doesn't really matter, but I'm investing in this part of me. And I think the fact that I'm an entrepreneur and just a go-getter, it's like I had to become a teacher, of course, and I had to go all the way through the process to, to really develop skills in it. But that's a side project, which I guess in some ways does divert some focus from other things, but it feeds so many buckets that keep me going and keep me nourished and keep me well. I,
3: so I want to talk about, I want to get right into it because I know that this show, we're going to, we're going to talk about so many things. This, the subject of the show is, is really about helping and providing tools and, and real life stories to, business owners that are also life partners. And Sherry, with your background in clinical psychology and your experience, not only as an entrepreneur yourself, but being married to an entrepreneur and your lives coming together at various point in times throughout your various ventures, what do you think is the greatest obstacle for couples in business from a, let's call it a mental health perspective?
4: I mean, I think the the universal answer is probably communication. It's a sense in which our expectations live in our minds and they break down in our ability to communicate them to our partner. Certainly in our ability to ask for what we need or for what we want. That's Those are just challenges in relationships from day one to the last day. And then add to that the complexity of and intensity of trying to run a business together or do that is pressing both of us into the edge of our capability, then it's really easy to get lost in hurt feelings and misunderstandings and disappointment, you know, the kind of the emotional, I don't know, tornado that can go along with working together with your partner. And so communication is almost always, I think, the breakdown that happens, which is no surprise to any of us who are either married or in business with other humans. That's the thing that always breaks.
3: And what do you think, you know, based on your years of experience, I mean, I'm i not surprised by the answer of communication, because even in my own marriage with Mike and our partnership and as, as business owners, that, is, that has often been a sticking point for us. Now, I will say that it has certainly evolved over the years, and I, I think we can continue to evolve that. What do you think are some of the tools that are necessary for couples in business to really work on that communication, and and we understand that that might be a varied answer depending on the couple and the business and the industry, but what are some things that you know actionable things that uh, that couples and business can do to really focus on that on that point of of their relationship, the communication aspect?
4: I think it's helpful to segment your time maybe differently than you would if you were. Just a couple, but not doing business together, which means that you set an appointment to talk about you know, your budget for the next year within your business, or you set an appointment and dedicate time to talk about a, a staffing or a personnel change. You don't let that bleed into your time in your bedroom or your time over dinner with your family, that there are some... It's not going to be perfect because it's all kind of smushy, but especially those bigger, harder conversations where it's possible for there to be some, it's just easier to miscommunicate or miss each other. Those need to go on the calendar in kind of a more official format. So like any other meeting, you prepare for it. You come with your stats, you come with your proposal, you come with your ideas and you talk it through together and don't let it bleed into every other area of your life. So I think that's, that's one thing that can be really helpful is identifying those more difficult conversations that happen and really segmenting them, giving them a time and a space where it's quiet, you're not distracted, you're giving them a time to air and it's not, you know, getting in, messing up the rest of your life.
3: I love that. And I'm thinking, and now I'm guilty and I'm thinking, oh God, I talk about work all the time in front of my daughter. We have a five-year-old little girl and she has been exposed from day one. We started our business when she was uh, just shy of two years old and uh, she's grown up with us being entrepreneurs at home and working together. And I'm now cringing at the number of times that we've talked really serious business conversations in her presence. And I'm also thinking about what you said, Rob, about how, you know, the parents that are constantly working and are not giving attention to the kids, how that how that can really mess them up emotionally, and they feel they don't—they feel like they're playing second fiddle to their parents' work and their parents' jobs. And I'd love to explore this a little bit with you guys. You both are passionate entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs. You have multiple projects going on each of you in your lives—from books to podcasts to to selling companies, building companies how has that affected your kids you know what do you th- you have three three adolescent teenage it's close 14, to teen 10 or four- and 9 right so so teens and and almost teens what do you think they would say about you guys as as parents and and how does that like reflect on your work and and, and the kid life and all that stuff
4: they have no idea that people's parents go to work they've almost only known us to work from home at least part of the time. We've had offices at different times but they've like often been in our offices. So our kids have an experience of overlapping family and work life that I think is pretty unique. They've all also been guests or contributors to our podcast. Our son who's now 14 actually suggested the title of our book including the use of the word shit. Thank you, Rob. So, you know, they're they're pretty aware of and involved in a lot of what happens like they've been um to microconf they've seen rob on stage they've seen him giving talks so yeah they're they're in the in the midst of it in the muck of it and again like have like no idea that life is really different for their families
2: yeah i think i'm actually curious to ask a quick follow-up on that i mean that's something that we've been talking about with our daughter is you know she's five now and she's kind of voiced an interest in learning learning a little bit more about what mom and dad do. Like how early did you start getting your kids, let's just say, involved and in purposefully or maybe by accident in what you guys do?
4: Rob was writing code while Finn was an infant on his lap, like from the beginning, period. Also like Rob worked a traditional job until we had our oldest son. And when we had our oldest son is actually the marker when Rob never went back to work. He took like paternity leave and just never returned. So I think our mission about being entrepreneurs and wanting the kind of freedom that that life has offered us is very integrated with who we are as parents.
0: Yeah, and then I'm I'm trying to think back, like our oldest son wrote his first book, Parent's Guide to Minecraft. He was either seven or eight. And he, you know, I've started saying that's what we do in this family we write books like they have the expectation of i don't know expectation is a strong word but i, I just think that it should be like hey you know you're all, you're going to go to college or you're going to start a company when you're 18 that's those are your options and if you want to go be, get an md or get you know you can do what you want just you're not going to tool around and you know whatever just our expectations are these and yeah you're probably going to write a book or two in your life and and two of the kids have have written you know, 20 or 30 page uh, books on what one's on Minecraft and one's about turtles. And so I think, and I'm trying to think of the other stuff we would do. It was, I think I was thinking long-term of like, maybe not entrepreneurship when they were five, but I remember saying, well, five or six is when they should learn to start typing. And so I got the typing tutor because I knew that no matter what they do in life, typing can help them either write or write code or whatever. And then about six or seven, I started exposing them to code to, you know, writing computer software and not that everybody needs to know that, but I at least wanted them to have exposure to that. And then it was seven or eight where I was like, well, you're a good enough typer, you know, good enough typist that I think doing a book could be interesting. And then starting to talk to them about, we, we do allowance, but we've always encouraged them like.
4: It's a low base salary.
0: Yeah. It's like, this is the low base and you should, you need a
4: basic living wage.
0: You need to go after your bonus, you know, like do entrepreneurial things. And that was the book. I mean, they wrote the books to make money, you know, and because they want, they wanted to do the books as well. But one of the kids went door to door in, in, you know, in our little neighborhood here and sold like $300 worth of these books and had enough to buy a big Lego set. And, you know, their allowance is $15 a month. So you can order of magnitudes, you know, larger. And the lesson we wanted to drive home is, Hey, if you put in the work and you build something of value that people want, then, then you can make a good chunk of money, which I think is probably about as good as I can distill entrepreneurship down to, you know, at, at that young age.
4: They're also musicians, so they go busking. And like they, they make really good money for kids. They make like 50 to $80 an hour sometimes.
1: I'm so surprised,
0: yeah. Wow. Because they're out.
4: cute and they play really well. So there you go. Yeah,
0: you got a nine-year-old. I was person. doing it wrong when I was a kid. I know. I know, yeah. What, I was are they, what
4: instruments too. do they play? The cello, the, the violin, and the piano. Of course, the pianist gets wow. screwed. She can't busk. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the string instruments, they do well
3: nice that's awesome i love these advi- this this advice and this culture that you're cultivating for your kids about this entrepreneurial spirit and and putting their passions and their ideas to work for them that's that's brilliant and i think that's something that our audience is going to take away and you know we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the current situation only in the sense that you know, And Sherry, I'd love your perspective on the, the mental burnout because I know you guys have experienced that personally, but also Sherry, through your work as a clinical psychologist, you work with entrepreneurs that may be experiencing burnout or, or difficult uh, decisions that they, that they have no one to turn to. And oftentimes, I know this is on your website and this is something that we say often a lot entrepreneur that the road to being an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur is a lonely one and especially and, and it's frighteningly lonely how lonely it can be when you're working with your spouse because you're often isolated by yourselves you know we all know that this 2020 sucks Covid sucks quarantine has been shitty kids home parents trying to juggle work and life and all of this stuff now your kids are older so they can wipe their own butts they can they can write books they can type on the computer they can do all those things on their own our daughter still needs a little bit of help in the bathroom department so our time is often limited when it comes to getting some really solid consistent work done what advice if any Do you have for parents that are currently struggling right now with kids may or may not be going back to school, working, maybe building a business, being an entrepreneur, and then kids at home? What, how do you guys do it? I mean, with the variant over the years, what are some tips that we can learn from you?
4: You know, I think maybe more than tips, this whole, as you've said, really shitty year is probably an invitation to deeper empathy for all of us. And I, I, especially for folks who have young kids at home who are trying to do the, the total nightmare of distance learning and just keep kids healthy and safe and then also try to do some work. I mean, that, there is no way around that being an incredibly difficult task. And there's not a tip or strategy that's gonna be like, bling, it all works perfectly now. I mean, I think if nothing else, the only path to sanity is to keep things very simple to pick one or two meaningful things that you can get done in a day and then let the rest of the day be much more flexible and then it's like everything else that gets done is a bonus. So I think lowering expectations of ourselves, lowering expectations of our kids and just learning to be in a place that is less efficient, less productive than we'd like it to be and learning to be okay with that. I think more than anything, this is a mental game. I think Rob and I have worked really well together to try to develop some scheduling kinds of tactics that work. Because even though our kids are older, especially with distance learning, like they really do need still a lot of supervision and just checking in so that they're not on YouTube all day. So we kind of split the day in in a rough way. We'll all work kind of early in the morning, and then Rob takes over. Um, and works kind of midday, and then I'll maybe go back and do some more consulting appointments later in the day. So there's kind of always someone that's got an eye on the kids. And it means that none of, neither of us are getting like a full workday in, but we're both getting some sort of supported alone time where we're not having the responsibility or the distraction of having to have one eye on the children as well. So lots, again, creative communication around, hey, what do you need? Do you need to work on a Saturday? Do you need to stay up late? Do you need to get up early? What, what serves you today? What support can I offer you? How can I be flexible to help get, get you what you need? And then always coming together around the fact that the kids do feel the stress of what's happening probably more than most of us realize. And they need us to be consistent and present and calm and not constantly irritated or agitated that we're not checking our email or not doing all these other things when we're with them. Like nobody wants to feel like, oh, you're just stuck with me because you have to be. We want to give our time when we're with them graciously and wholeheartedly rather than feeling like we're torn up about it.
3: Yeah. So. Sherry, you touched on so many brilliant things, and one of the things that has been on my mind, and probably a lot of, and it's been out there on LinkedIn and in news articles and everything, is the fact that, like you said, parents are now having to divide their time among their kids and their work and their and their professional responsibilities Rob, as a serial investor, as, as uh, an entrepreneur, and having had multiple companies yourself with employees, do you see a shift in the way that organizations and business leaders are now going to be sort of giving that flexibility to their employees and respecting their employees in terms of that work-life balance and, and the kids and you know everything that we're seeing because of covid this year how do you think that's going to translate into the the let's say let's call it corporate america
0: sure i think it's you know there's been a movement to to do more remote work which offers more flexibility in this in the non kind of silicon valley startup space so in more of the microconf like hey we're bootstrappers or we raise small rounds of funding and we don't need you know to do the big unicorn moonshot exit there's been a movement for remote work for more than a decade because it's just simpler it it you can recruit i'll say it's easy to recruit better people because they want the flexibility you can often find really good people in rural you know arkansas who's like a really good developer but just wants to live out in the middle of nowhere with his you know near his parents or whatever because they start a family and you can just find better talent so that movement's been there and now it's becoming obvious that that it's it's possible you know you see these massive companies that all the the silicon valleys the facebook's and the googles but even the fortune 1000 are saying, okay, and, and here we are remote for the next six months. And someone just the other day was like, we're going to be remote for the next year, like after from today. And so I do, think there's, I do think there's going to be a shift that we're never going to come back from. And I think it's a good thing. I think there'll be some fallout from that because I think human beings desire interaction. And a lot of people get their social you know, interactions from their work. And that's harder. I've worked at home. I've worked from home on and off. For 19 years, and really, I worked from home straight for 12. Like without, I mean, I guess there was one. There was one year after I sold my company that. But you know, for the most part, like I just kind of work from home, and I'm used to it, and I don't necessarily feel isolated. But I do think that we, you know, folks have to have to start guarding that, you know, guarding against the isolation, which is something that you know Sherry obviously would have more to say on.
4: But I think people-oriented companies are be- going to become more and more important because you know, like companies that are going to make some allowances or schedule flexibility for people who are parents and have kids at home, um, they're going to have to. Otherwise those parents are gonna leave and find other jobs. And I, I fortunately get to work with a number of startups who you know, ha- have me on board to help advise them related to how do you keep people mentally healthy and also high performers. And because that's a part of my work, I get to help these startups think about these kinds of policies and practices. And I know that that's going to be the difference between companies that people are going to stay at for a long time versus companies which just not sustainable for your life. If their expectation is that your butt is in your seat from eight to four, but then also the school needs you to distance learn your seven-year-old. Like it's just, you have to be flexible. So I'm hopeful that we'll get creative and flexible. We'll see.
3: What are some, just dovetailing on what you just said, what are some of the cool and interesting or unique policies that you're seeing right now that companies that some of the clients whom you advise that, that are putting an emphasis on whether that's flexibility or health and wellness, what are some interesting things that you're seeing out there?
4: Well, I think there's a number of things. Some companies are really taking mental health care seriously. So that means making sure that everyone in the company has access to a service like BetterHelp or something like that that makes mental health care super accessible as opposed to like the the narrow journey through your health insurance to try to navigate finding a therapist that actually, you know, like that whole thing is a nightmare. So I think companies that are providing extra support by making a a perk or easy accessibility to mental health care for everyone in their company, I think companies are also doing lots of preventative care. So that means, you know, starting the day or making available breath work, breath exercises, having Zoom yoga, just bringing in things that do help with work-life Balance and keeping people healthy and well, offering a variety of options for people, even having, you know, monthly webinars about mental health and well-being. I know some companies have had me come in just to do some work with the parents post-COVID because everyone is just phenomenally stressed out, and that's this unique sector of their workforce that really needs extra support and problem solving and help. So utilizing experts, utilizing resources, and then you know, at the end of the day, I think for most parents, flexibility is the key. So companies that are helping really develop great practices around asynchronous communication. So somebody can be totally on the team and totally communicative and in on everything, but not necessarily on Zoom eight hours a day where they're, you know, having face-to-face meetings. That's not going to work in the long term. So asynchronous communication and lots of supportive practices are helpful.
3: Awesome. And and Zoom fatigue is a real thing. I know that it's been said before and it's out there. I thought it was silly when, when I first heard it. And then I realized not long into <laughs> our quarantine here that, that, no, it's real. And uh, that our, our company, Proofpoint, is fully remote. We've been remote since the inception of our company so that we could have the kind of culture and flexibility that we wanted as parents to a young child. We, you know, we're on video chat all the time, but then all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but our our calendar started blowing up over the past six months with video calls more than we've ever had in in our in in our work history. And at the end of the day, I'd just be so exhausted, and I'd I'd say, Mike, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm I'm so tired. He's like, Yeah, it's the Zoom calls. I'm like, No. He's like, Yeah, it's a real thing. So I completely agree with that. I'm certainly not the expert in this. You are, uh, and you're saying it. So we're going to, we're going to go with that. And it's true.
2: I want to sort of shift gears and take a, maybe a, a slight step back. You know, we we're talking about how you guys got to where you are and the word success came up a couple of times. And obviously you, you, you two have had a lot of professional success over the past, you know, 10 years, let's just say what, what did success look like to you say maybe 10 years ago like what was your what what did success mean to you then and what does it mean to you now
0: yeah success in success 15 years ago looked to me like owning like like owning my time and not having to work for anyone else and it took me about 3 or 4 years to get to that point where i had products software products and in a book that made enough money that i could quit the day job then success looked like I mean, I, I kind of, I worked the four hour work week for like eight or nine months. I w- it was about 10 or 12 hours a week, but almost, it, it was amazing. Like it was one of the best times of my life. We had our second son and I would just, I just hung out with him and I did a little bit of work. And it was just like this amazing, almost like a sabbatical. And that was uh, about a decade ago. And then I got really bored. And so success at that point shifted to be, Finding my next purpose, that next round of purpose, because I think of, I mean, to me, success is three things. It's freedom, purpose, and relationships, right? The freedom to do what I want, work with who I want, work on what I want, and then purpose, having something really interesting to work on that's different for everybody, and then relationships, obviously, you know, family and, and friends and such. And so, yeah, so about... 9 years ago I talked to Sherry about it and I was like look I I built a life I always wanted I don't even have to work and I'm really bored and she's like yeah you need an ambitious something you know and so I went out and I bought a I bought a software product a software company a small one and I grew that and I it was great like I had so much fun doing it and I did a bunch of learning and then after I sold that one and then I did uh, my bigger one and sold that and then it became uh oh I'm back here again I have freedom again and I you know, still have these relationships, but I'm wondering what is my next purpose? And that for me now has switched almost to like legacy in a way. I'm getting to that point where it's like, I don't have much left to prove to myself. (laughs) You know, I've done the big, I've done the companies, I've done the exits, I've it's like, well, how can I impact like, a lot of people? And, and luckily during this time, you know, I wrote a book 10 years ago. I have a podcast that's been going for 10 years you know, for Bootstrap Software Founders, a conference that has been going for nine and a half years. So I already had this community built that I was impacting on the side while I was doing this other stuff. And so just doubling down on that has now become, that's my legacy is like how many software founders, software entrepreneurs can I help move faster, be more successful, and frankly change their lives, right? Because there are hundreds if not thousands that have had some type of life-changing impact based on interviews or books or the conference or you know, meeting other people. It's just all the stuff that I've worked on and now I realize that's my life's work now. I think from here on my definition of success is how many founders can I impact?
2: Is there one that stands out the most? Like is there a story from those, say that, nine years?
0: Oh yeah, I mean there's, there's dozens. I mean if one guy who's now a good friend of mine is you know, it was 11 years, 12 years ago, he found my blog and started reading it and just contacted me and he was working a day job and he had been like a construction worker and a security guard and then taught himself to code and then worked his way up to be a manager of developers and was doing my advice. He's like, I know that you seem to know what you're doing and we kind of, I started mentoring him and I was already working on my book and stuff. And then he launched a, a software product and he bought out his own time within, I don't know, a year of doing that. And now he's working on his second one, which is massive. And it, it just completely changed his life. He like, he bought his mom a car. He grew up very poor. Like he just, it, it literally changed his life. And it's not all about money or buying people stuff, but it, it just changed his trajectory. And that was, that, that's why I do it, you know? I mean, that's why I do that whole thing. I've, I've often said like, I've made some, 10 or 50 times more money from, from building and selling software products than I have from, mentoring you know advising podcasting whatever but it's not a, it's not really about the money when i'm doing that right it's about the impact and the and the good you can throw into the world and and helping other people so that's that's my well, definition of success gosh
3: i wish we could continue this conversation and i absolutely would be so blessed to have and humbled to have you guys both on a couple more segments of our of our podcast here, of our humble little podcast. We know that you guys have a busy day and kids and so many things going on. So we're going to start wrapping up, but this is by no means the last of you on mixing business with pleasure. I know that this segment alone has generated so many valuable um and actionable tips that our audience and quite frankly that Mike and I are going to start implementing ASAP in our lives um we have a couple of questions that we like to wrap up the show with so we're going to go through those you guys have talked a lot about some of the things that you've done in the past we are curious to know what are the next big project or projects that you're working on either individually together and whether that's for work or for
4: life? I just finished a book um, that I am incubating, like where it will go, like whether it will go with an agent in the traditional publishing route or whether I'll self-publish it like I did my first book or our first book. So that's kind of top of mind. And then I'm I'm midway through another book about entrepreneurial parenting, actually. So Ooh. maybe one that would be juicy to talk about with you guys. Yes. But, you know, that probably won't that see be the awesome. light of day for another year or so, but it's, it's been a really lovely season of writing for me. Fantastic. And that's kind of where I'm giving a lot of time and attention right now. And you're sparking
3: some good episode ideas for us. So I'm going to bank those and we're going to co- get back in touch with you. Rob, what's on your, on your plate, on your list?
0: yeah I think I mean, Sharon and I have been collaborating and scheming about what we're going to do this winter, like on the personal side, right? Because
4: because Minnesota in the quarantine in the winter, yeah, it sucks. We, it one sucks. of the
0: reasons we've only been here four years. And one of the things when we decided to stay longer term is we said, if we stay the winners, we leave once a month from November to March. And we go out. We leave for four days. We pull Amen. four or five days, pull the kid out, put kids out of you know, school, and we just, we have family in California, or we nonstop Florida, to Mexico. Somewhere warm. Matter. Doesn't Summer matter. matter. This Arizona, year, yeah. with exactly this year with quarantine, it's like, I'm not sure we're going to want to travel every month. So we're seriously skipping. <laughs> like, should we just leave for four months? Like, should we snowbird it? We can pull the, you know, the kids go virtual anyways. Yay, distance learning. So we are looking at that, like maybe California, maybe Hawaii, maybe somewhere in the Caribbean. There's a bunch of islands that are like letting Americans just come and stay, you know, nice. for months and months and months without stuff. So we've been kind of plotting that and thinking through it. And there's a lot, there's a lot of complexity there, right? Because we own a home here and,
4: and a puppy.
0: we have a puppy, all the stuff. So
4: yeah. That's,
0: I'm excited about that to figure out what you know what we make work there.
3: That's awesome. We are also um, think, thinking a lot. So we're in Minnesota. I, I think we failed to mention that. And uh, yeah, it's freaking cold here for anyone that's not living in Minnesota or hasn't wintered here. It really sucks, and that's a huge concern. Quarantining and quarantining here would in, be in the winter would miserable. be just absolutely miserable.
2: All right, we're contemplating going Arizona, to Arizona for, for, for the
3: winter. Yeah, all right. My last question is this, what is the one thing or quality that each of you bring to your lives and to your to your personal life and to your professional lives that you couldn't do without? And so Sherry, you will answer this question about Rob and Rob about Sherry. Hmm.
0: So it's a trait of hers that I couldn't do without? Is right, like a, a
3: quality or, or trait or... Something she does that helps you both, either either in your business or in your personal life, that that you couldn't you couldn't live without this thing about Sherry.
0: There's a, there's a lot. Like there really, it's hard to <laughs> hard
4: it's like. Yeah, any like it's one over the other. There's only
0: one. <laughs> yeah, it's like she brings. This creativity and, and desire for new experience that I think is helpful for me and the, for me and the kids. For, it's helpful for all of us. It's a desire of hers to experience new things, and she often will just propose or suggest, "Hey, let's do this thing. Let's go to Thailand for a month. Let's go to Europe for a few weeks, or do things that are less expensive than that too. Like let's go and build a fort, in go get the, ice cream, <laughs> go get ice cream, and ride a bike and build a fort in the you know in this this forest near our house. And we're all like, oh yeah, that is kind of an interesting idea, but just none of the rest of us thought of it. So. I, that's, that's probably, you have a lot of things, but that's, that one sticks out as being really unique.
4: I think when I think about my business in particular, one of the things that Rob has brought over and over is, well, it's, I'm just going to go for two, sorry, both encouragement and problem solving. So any, any like problem or source of discouragement that I'm sitting with, I, you know, talk to him about it and 100% of the time feel differently, or at least have another idea about how to work through it, which has, you know, I think saved me from many, many, many stuck points professionally.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for your generous time today. Your amazing advice. Your, your energy and everything that you've brought to this show is just awesome. We really appreciate it. And we would love to have you guys on at another point in time. And we wish you guys all the pleasure and all the best in
4: your next fun adventures. Thank you so much. It's been a really fun conversation.
2: It's been great. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.